Hi, I'm Andalisi. And I'm Chef James Regato. And on this episode of Essential Cooking, we talk with Detroit chef and social media star John Kung about his new book titled Chinese American Recipes from a Third Culture Kitchen. We also talked about how he decided which recipes would make it into the book and what it's like to finally meet all of these people who follow him on social media. So here's our conversation with John Kung. Well, John, it's great to have you back. James and I uh, were kind of keeping track of you, knowing that you were working on this cookbook yeah. and that we wanted to have you on. And I just can't even imagine writing a cookbook and what goes into it. But I wanted you to talk about why you decided it was time. It It's so interesting because like the last time we spoke, did I just start or had I started already? I think you might, you were talking about it. I was I talking yeah, about it. Yeah, you okay. were talking about and it. And I think within that year, I, I wrote it. It's a two, so... For me, cook, writing a cookbook was a two-year process where I spent an entire year writing it, and then we spent a year shooting it, producing it, mm-hmm. designing it, everything that is involved with after you write right. it. And so I think it, I think the time when I wrote it was like two years ago. It's a really interesting like cross-section of time of where I was and what, where my like head was in, in the space of everything. And it was such a tumultuous time as well. Right. It was like just post-pandemic. So... Yeah, it's, it was, it came out of like just a desire to translate what I had been doing on TikTok um, into a book. And the uh, because of TikTok, the opportunity came. Mm-hmm. That's where that came from. In, in, was in it general. harder than you thought? Or- yes, but not in the way that I thought it would be hard. So um, how did you think it would be hard? So um, I have very, I had very yeah. romantic ideas of like wedding, what, what writing a book was. I pictured like being locked in a cabin, <laughs> like somewhere, like ideally it would have been like Maine, but, or, or something, but like just an, in the dark, just writing this book. But like, while I was writing the cookbook, I was also um, ascending to into a TikTok career right. as well as starting a YouTube channel and learning how to film, learning how to write for that. And so doing all three at once, the writing portion of the book kind of just passed in a blur. Uh. And I feel like I was robbed of the experience of writing it. So I'm kind of, ex- <laughs> I'm excited now that everything's a little more established to like get into writing an- another one. But yeah, everything that happened after the fact, like, producing a cookbook and kind of organizing all of the different hands that are involved in making mm-hmm. it like that was something that I had no expectation of and and just had no idea that was going to happen so that part was 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 the more difficult part for mm-hmm. sure did you have I mean, how did you decide what was going to go in there? You cooked a million things. So how did you decide, well, these are the things that I want to share with people. And it's certainly an extension of yourself and a story to tell, I would imagine, as well. So how did you determine what was going to make it into this cookbook? Interestingly enough, like I kind of constructed the cookbook itself as if it were a menu of sorts. And so like having things that made sense with each other within like the chapters or, or within like the actual expanse of the book itself. Um, it's kind of just like the head space that I was in when I constructed it. But also a lot of it had to do with my um, ideas on third culture food, cross-cultural cooking. And so 
the way that I formatted it and what and the way a lot of cookbooks are structured is we're like pantry section in the front mm-hmm. and then you start with like sauces and like your basics and stuff. But I wanted to make sure that there was I would arm my readers with a solid foundation of Chinese, um, you know, knowledge in Chinese ingredients, but also in like the basic sauces, such as like ginger scallion oil, chili oils, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of like the preserves and pickles and stuff so that with the intention that they actually would go and run with it mm-hmm. and kind of incorporate it into their own food. And the latter chapter of the book kind of serves as an example of how they can incorporate those first, those like basic recipes in the first chapter into different cross-cultural cuisines. So from like the chili oil, we would get dandan lasagna, or you would have like lion's, uh, lion's head meatball in broth recipe, which is very Cantonese focused, but then we're gonna switch and put it into like a big bowl of spaghetti. Um, there is a clay pot jollof rice recipe. Like it's just, they are, they are recipes that I'm very, very proud of, but I, I like to think of that as more examples of where people can take their own cooking and how you can actually incorporate this what was normally just reserved for kind of like restaurants and anything from like semi-fine dining and above, like that creativity is something that people can do at home and pretty easily because when you're starting with sauces, you're just putting it on stuff. Yeah, I think that's the, a lot of home cooks are missing the pantry. Yeah. Know, or just like, yeah, layering your refrigerator to have things like chili oil or, you know, or, or, you know, ginger scallion oil, like you said, or chili crisp. I mean, just think toppings, layerings, you know, just, just basic flavoring agents. Cause I think when people get into preparing for, for the, for the week or meal prep, they start to panic when it's like, Oh, I only know three dishes or I only know four things. I'm sick of eating my own food. I think that your, your pantry section and the breaking down of spices is really beneficial. I know most books do it, but I thought yours was really beneficial because you talk about it. Obviously, it's, you know, a Chinese-American, you know, titled book, but I think that it's very open to just here's big flavors and here's how they work. Feel free to combine them as at will. Yeah, and I think, like, people often, oftentimes, like, glance over the pantry section and, like, the, these recipes where they teach you how to make the oils and the sauces and stuff. But those are generally usually the ones that a last the longest in your fridge. Some of them like can last for like a month in your fridge, but B those are like the things that you can potentially use all the time. Right. Like you're not supposed to just put the chili oil on the noodles. You can also put it on your pizza and you can also put it on scrambled eggs, fried chicken, mac and cheese. Like all of these things taste really, really good with a little bit of spice. And my chili oil is actually formulated without any salt whatsoever. So it's all just aroma and spice. And that way it never makes the things that you put it on too salty. You can always add salt afterwards, but right. it will never oversalt a pizza, for example, which is already really mm-hmm. salty. So John, let's talk about the title yeah. of the book. <laughs> uh, Chinese American Recipes from a Third Culture Kitchen. Can you explain um, what that means? So we added that in because Kung Food was too vague. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the original title was Kung yeah, Food. The original title was actually uh, the original title that I wanted for it was um, ABC, w- w- which was American Born Chinese. Unfortunately, that became an award uh, winning graphic. Not well, not unfortunately for the writer, but <laughs> it became an award winning graphic novel 
which became a Disney series with Michelle Yeoh <laughs> and uh, and uh, I just remember Michelle. I never saw the show, but Michelle Yeoh was in it. Um, and so I was like, well, I'm not not no, competing Disney, with that. Disney, <laughs> Disney will, come, yeah, Disney exactly, will own your book right, really quickly. Yeah, exactly. It was, it's like I'm not trying to piss off the mouse in my first cookbook. So. Actually, Kung Food was the name of my pop-up, the name mm-hmm. of my kitchen here in Eastern Market. Like, it was something that I was very, very happy to put on the title of my first book. But obviously, Kung Food only has really meaning to me and possibly some of the people that have eaten at my place here in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Not really so much within the rest of the world. So they, the publisher asked me to, like, figure out uh, some... I, what was it, like a subtitle? I think they call it a subtitle. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of illustrates more of what is inside the book. And so we had decided on, after many options, uh, whatever it says on there. <laughs> Chinese American, American recipes, recipes from a, from a third, third culture, culture kitchen. kitchen. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I've been calling it Kung Food. <laughs> You're going to stick to it. Yeah. So what is a third culture kitchen. So um, in terms of like who a third culture person is, um, third culture refers to somebody who has had essentially full immersion on multiple cultures through their lived experience. Um, So for example, I grew up in a very traditional Chinese household. And when we were in Canada, every time I would step out of my house, I would cross what I would call a little cultural threshold every single time between what my home was like and what my life outside of the home, like school, was like. Um, And that immersion has, like, gives you so much access to, like, nuances of culture and what the way people understand it, whether it be humor, whether it be art, whether it be food, all of that, that everyday experience in doing both things... um, And I I believe that informs people when they have a creative output um, on their style. And so being a third culture kitchen, like living in a third culture kitchen, it means to me like I have access of everything that I understood to be good, everything that I loved being in Canada, the United States, but also coming from a Chinese household where even though I don't, can't read Chinese, I recognize every label and every bottle of every like ingredient that I grew up with, mostly because none of these companies ever did a brand refresh <laughs> since the eighties. <laughs> so all the labels for all of these things look the exact same. So when I was tracing back into like learning, teaching myself how to cook Chinese food, I was like, oh yeah, I've seen this on the shelf. And so I would mm-hmm. buy it and I would taste it. And I was like, oh my gosh, this goes on this, this goes on congee, this goes on rice, this goes on our eggs. And using that and then melding it with things that I learned to love when I'm here, such as like lasagna, spaghetti, chicken, and waffles, all of that stuff. And combining the two, um, I think that nuance just gives us access to creating something that is recognizable to people on both sides of that cultural threshold as something familiar, even though it's not exactly what they know. We'll be right back right after this.
You said um, in your last comment that you were teaching yourself how to cook Chinese food. Yes. And that got my attention because I kept thinking, oh, you would have learned how to cook Chinese food when you were growing up at home. No. Um, <laughs> interestingly enough, I would I, I ate very good Chinese food living in Hong Kong, but, you know, we don't really have really the biggest kitchens and stuff over there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I had basic home cooking, but uh, my experiences with what good Chinese food was, was usually came from eating out or like going to family dinners and whatnot. And nobody really taught me how to cook. So I was stumbling my way through teaching myself how to cook while I was here in Detroit um, in like 2007, 2008, because I missed that food. And the only way that I could get it was if I was making it for myself. And did you expect to have, um, I guess, you know, at that time, doesn't you know, a social media career didn't really exist then. No. What did you expect to do with your cooking at the time? I mean, how fast did you turn into pop-ups and feeding people? Oh, and then and then obviously, because I mean, that quickly turned into going taking it, you know, digital and social. Yeah. And then now, now I mean, it's it's probably, which is wild that we live in this world. But most of the people <laughs> experiencing your food is not through eating it. Is not through eating it anymore, which is crazy. So um, like, you know, I guess walk me through like you start cooking to, to, to nourish a part of yourself that you know that that you have no one else to do so. But then how do you get to today? I mean, it's it all really started with me documenting my own explorations through learning how to teaching myself how to cook with a blog. And it was just like I, I was just like recording what I was finding and like trying to learn and uh, looking for ingredients. Everything from that on was just me trying to have like some kind of creative outlet at the time that was involving learning how to cook Chinese food. Um, that got the attention of some like really, really early pop-ups who asked me to help them with theirs. Mm. And it turned into making a pop-up for myself. Actually, where I live now in West Village, there's like a house on Agnes Street where I had my very, very first pop-up inside that house because it was in the middle of construction. There were no walls. It was just down to the studs. And I actually did like barbecue saute inside there. It was a Halloween, um, I think. And Halloween, probably like 2009, 2010. Yeah. Um, and then that got the attention of, of uh, Angela at Coffee And, if you remember like that from back in the day. And I was started doing pop-ups out of there. And it was like such an organic step-by-step, -step, almost quintessentially Detroit story of like how these things and connections are oh, made. Totally. Because Especially our, at that time. Oh, for sure. There's like so many things were trucks and pop-ups yeah. that became now what we know them as like, you know, brick and mortars. Brick and mortars. Yeah. It all came from, so many of us came from that place. And like the community was like a handful of people. We were so, so small. That's when social media was basically in person. It was literally, <laughs> it was literally in person. It is crazy to think that we're now talking about a time where we are without a technology that we use all the time, but I never had any like desire to be like a social media influencer or even a content creator. Like I'm an elder millennial. My value who grew up during a recession, like my values was always in something that was tangible, yeah, something definitely. that I can hold. That's where my security was. Which is why you made a book. Yeah, right, right, exactly. That's a really, really good point. <laughs> you know, oh I mean, but really, because when, when did things turn the corner to like, you, now you don't have time for your pop-ups because you're making so much content. Right. Yeah, like what? Yeah. What year do you think is that? Like, is that COVID? That was that was COVID. It all 
it all started because like I felt like the only way that I could reach people through my food now that I had shut down my kitchen yeah, because of go, the pandemic was it all happened because of COVID. Like if it wasn't for COVID, I would still probably I would probably have opened my brick and mortar. Yeah, by no now. kidding, right? Yeah. So that, that makes that yeah that's that's the kind of what I'm searching for is because you pivot to making content, the content blows up yeah wonderfully, and now you're making a book because I think you know you're probably trying to dance in both worlds where yeah. you obviously want to make content, but you still want to give some somebody something that they can touch and hold. Do you see yourself physically cooking for the, you know, for the customer directly in the future in do any you, way? Do, uh, will I be going back into and service? Not, not necessarily brick and mortar, but like, yeah, but do, like, do you do, do you do a pop-up food tour with this book? Do you do in-person classes? You know what's crazy? There are actually a couple of pop-ups that are involved with the tour of this book, but this is the first time I've ever been like involved in this in the pop-up thing and I'm not actually cooking hmm. the food. Uh. It because I'm traveling and the tour is like literally I'm 24 hours in this city, 24 hours in that city. Obviously, I have no time to prep and stuff. Is so someone I'm like, making your recipes? They're literally okay, doing that. They cool. have my recipes and they're, they're going off and running with it. That's cool. Yeah. So James, you get, you're still cooking. You have a brick and mortar location, Mabel Gray. I do. You get to cook. I'm not famous on TikTok. No. <laughs> I mean, you've, I don't you know have a TikTok. You were on TV, though. Oh, like, yeah, you're yeah, like, I mean, you were the. Yeah, yeah. come on. That's the, I mean, please. TV's like ancient. You know, TikTok. I mean, that's like real time. I mean, right now, yeah, you know, right. You could probably, you could, you could like put a hit on me and I'd be dead this afternoon on TikTok. <laughs> You still have the experience of cooking for people and seeing their reaction to your food. John, do you miss that part of it, of actually cooking for people, serving your food, and watching them consume what you made? You know what? I do, because I think the reason why I got into cooking at all was because, you know, that house on Agnes where I did my first pop-up, I did this uh, butternut squash curry soup uh, made with coconut milk, which was, you know— Pretty, pretty exciting for me to make in like 2009. Um, and I so very distinctly remembering watching these two ladies eat that soup and then look at each other just like wide-eyed. And I could read their lips and like, oh my God, this is so effing good. And after that, I mean, like that was something that I chased you still the are. entire yeah the yeah, entire yeah. time all I think all yeah. chefs do that I mean really at the end of the day you just want to that's that's a, that's like a, a, a visceral gratification that right. nothing else does I mean likes clicks follows it doesn't equate to somebody eating your food and and being like this is gonna stay with me I'm gonna remember this and we are so creepy when we watch people <laughs> we're just waiting yeah. for that reaction oh, yeah. <laughs> where I'm just like you're like trying to put something in between you and the person that yeah. you're watching you're just like looking at their reaction but you're really just like staring at them from behind like oh, some yeah. olive oil or something I'm like the watching from the rafters <laughs> but no I mean like there is a version of that that I have where people do make the food um not necessarily, but I've got recipes all over the place where they they will do something, 
and then they'll tag me on it. Mm. And, and you then can see the yeah, meeting. And you can see, well, cool. they won't really show the meeting, but they I'll I'll see what they made and they'll tag me and they'll be like, hey, this is like right. your thing. Like I was on a tomato sandwich kick this summer. I saw, I saw that. <laughs> You're an animal. Yeah. The, the, the crunch, every, the crunch sounds. Every day. Like, you know, actually the trick is, the trick to get the crunch is it, it was not, a, it's never as dry as it sounds. It sounds dry. It sounds very like, dry. Bro, how are your gums? It sounds I very dry. I will say, but that's because like, inside like a sleeve or hidden mm. somewhere else is a is like a dedicated microphone because oh, like it's like the the way that something sounds like obviously to us who eat like who who cook food and stuff it does sound dry and it's like it kind of has to because you don't mm -hmm. the ones that don't have that crunch don't have those crazy views because the crunch is just something that like grabs your attention oh, yeah. whether you want to eat it or not right so it is it is a little bit of I don't. Know, I don't know if it's trickery. It's TV magic. It's, it is. It's a little yeah. bit of TV magic, but at the same time, it's like it's very real. But it's just maybe a little bit hyper real. It's like, it's like when you kind of like oversaturate the photos of the food of the oh, food right. that you take. Yeah. It's like it is that those are colors that exist. Yeah, just maybe just a little more. Yeah. yeah. Spruce yeah. Absolutely. So now you're out there talking about your book. That's happening now too, yeah, right? Yeah. And now you're like doing a whole different experience, going out and talking about your book and your recipes. How is this going so far? Well, um, the tour hasn't started yet. And I think it's like right in the kind of the beginning. Actually, I leave next week for it as of like filming or, or recording this. Um but I, I'm very excited. I am very nervous. Um, I'm terrified that nobody's going to show up. <laughs> that uh, that's the least that of your problems. And, that's, and that's, that's the thing, though, right? So, like, I create um, and operate in just a vacuum of complete, almost complete, like, isolation. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't see anybody. And, and, and it's really hard Um to quantify those numbers that you see, like, you know, yeah, those comments, those numbers and right. stuff like that. And f for your mental health, it's, pr health, it's probably better, like, not to think about it too much. But at the same time, like, I can't see every single face behind the mm -hmm. comment or something like that. Because what, I mean, how many how many followers do you have on TikTok right now? On TikTok is 1.7 million. And so, like, when and what cities are you going to? I'm going to New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco, and Chicago before coming home. Mm -hmm. And what and where are you doing the book? Is, are you going to bookstores? I'm going to bookstores. I'm going to restaurants and stuff like that. And like, actually, I will say to like my credit, we sold out one location within like a couple days. Right, it go. was the Chinese That's American great. Museum in in uh, in Chinatown in New York, and so that that is very encouraging. That's badass. But thank you. <laughs> but I still like because because I've never seen this. I've never seen a crowd of people show up for the sake of like listening to me talk. Like I still can't picture it. Mm -hmm. Like the start of my career up to this point, this high point, um, still only involved maybe like a handful of people um, that I've met in person. A lot of the people that like do my management and stuff like that, I've only met them online. Like wow. it's, it's, it's insane. Like, and, and because of that, it's hard for me to picture like me filling a room for that reason. Hmm. It's going to happen. I agree. And it's <laughs> going to be exciting for you to actually um, have FaceTime 
literally yeah. with these people I'm who so excited are fans that. of yours yeah. and be able to talk with them because you're kind of living in a vacuum right now yeah. and that's going to change and that's going to be pretty exciting. Definitely. Congratulations on the book, John. Thank you so much. Thank you for visiting with us. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. And where can I get the book? Oh yeah, the book is out. Um, you can look and ask, you could always ask your uh, local independent bookstore to carry it if they don't already. Um, but otherwise you can find me on all of the usual online channels, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, mm -hmm. all those, all those two day shipping places. And how can we follow you on social? And it's just at John Kung on pretty much everywhere. J-O-N-K-U-N-G. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to Essential Cooking. If you've been enjoying our show, please drop us a review and share it with a friend. This podcast is produced by me, Andalisi, with my co-host, James Rigato. This episode was also produced, engineered, and edited by Connor Anderson, with production support from David Lyons, original music by the Mallet Brothers. Essential Cooking is a production of WDET, Detroit's NPR station.